0: of the Sword of Christian Theology and the Shield of Apologetics, while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo as we enter into the arena of ideas. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the Word of God.
1: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christi Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello everyone. We've been in for you. Hey, I want to take a second and direct you to the, to the Bellator Christi website um read the articles that we have in series started um uh, last week was uh was um, you know the women um as as uh, proof for the resurrection and then this week is uh embarrassing details um it's it's important it's actually a this this really helps in apologetics and being able to um walk and explain through these things um these things are, are, are actually, not only are they great historical events, but they're also uh, good things to um, have as, as conversational points. So let's go ahead and welcome on Brian Chilton. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. What's going on? Hey, we got uh, you had an update or uh, uh, something you want to talk about the CSB Bible?
0: Yeah, before doing so, just want to let everybody know that this uh, new series of articles we're doing is called the uh, Resurrection Defense series, and so we're going to have eight parts to this uh, series. So mm-hmm. we're this week we had week two, and so uh, got a lot of ground to cover the next few weeks. So I hope you'll go check it out, and hopefully, if I can remember <laughs> how to do it, because <laughs> we're all, we are all doing this on our own. <laughs> uh, if we can remember how to do it, we'll try to provide a link up on the website so that uh, once all the articles are are posted, you can go there and uh, be a one stop shop. Once we post a link uh, to that yeah. to uh, the series, so, yeah, talking about the CSB, we use the CSB a lot at Bellator Uh The CSB, Holman has been great to, to me and, uh, and to Bellator Christie. They allowed us to use the CSB in uh, the layman's manual on Christian apologetics. and um, Actually, some pastors' conferences, I've even received free copies of the CSB. So, if you want to butter a preacher up, just give him a free copy of the Bible and say... <laughs> <laughs> but not only that; it's really, it's really a good, uh, it's really a good translation. It's readable. It has the optimal blend of both readability and accuracy. Uh, so they actually have updated; uh, they've made a few revisions to the CSB, and I think have made it even stronger. Uh, so they're calling this the 2020 revision. Uh, it's not a complete update, but it is, it is an update. Uh, but it's not like something you'd see with a New American Standard, where they're doing an update with a all new stuff um all new different way uh all new way of doing things it's going to be a you know big change this is more of a revision but uh, i thought you might want to be aware of this because uh in the next few months uh the csb will be going to this 2020 update and from everything i've seen i'm really satisfied with it i think they've clarified a few areas where it may have been a little bit wordy um uh, there may have been some areas where it uh There was some confusion and consistency. They've really clarified a lot of different things there. And uh, it looks like a solid, you know, it's it's continuing, you know, the the standard they've put and actually intensified it, I think, from everything I can tell. But uh, right now, the only two Bibles... Uh, That have the 2020 version, uh, the print edition, are the uh, is the Bible entitled uh, the Holy Land Illustrated CSB Bible, and then the CSB Verse by Verse Reference Bible, Uh, but uh, they will be gravitating all their Bibles in the future to the 2020 update. And I know, I think uh, there's some Bible software programs that's already updated the CSB to the new, to the new edition. Uh, Logos, uh, they have said, uh, that's the program I use, uh, they said they're going to be updating it late April. So it's coming. If you have a Logos Bible software, I'll be looking for the update coming up late in April. And my understanding is, according to the good folks at... Uh, At Faith Life, that there's not going to be any charge for the update. If you already have the CSB on Lagos, it's just going to automatically update from there. So that's the update I have uh, on the CSB.
1: Mm. So did so did they? um, I haven't looked to see if there's an update for the U Version Bible app um, yet. But were they just changing uh, like some of the Greek and and Hebrew? Like, transcripts, or, I mean, not transcripts, but uh, deciphering, is is that what happened, or what they do?
0: No, no, it's essentially the same translation. What what they've done is they've clarified in some verses, uh, they've clarified language. In, in, in some of the New Testament texts, instead of using the term Christ, they go with a standard Messiah in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not, you know, in, in a lot of areas they do. Um by and large, the vast majority of the translation is the same. It's just a few, it's just a few tweaks here and there. Uh, in a few areas where it may have been a little excessively wordy, they've they've mm. dropped it back where it's a little bit simpl- simplified, more simplified mm. in that area. So there, it's nothing huge. Uh, it's just more clarifying the language to mm-hmm. again provide that blend of accuracy and
1: readability. Right. Right. Yeah. CSB, it's a beautiful Bible. Um, it's, you know, it, for those that like the word for word um, and, and something that's relatable um, to common language, the CSB really has it covered. Um, it really does. Um, it's not as blocky and choppy in, in most aspects.
0: Yeah, and and having heard people from the Bible translation team or from the CSB or working with CSB, uh, they said that they wanted a Bible that people would read. They wanted it to be able to flow. Yeah. Uh, in the common language, and still be accurate to the original languages, and mm-hmm. I think uh, I think they've done it. According to a lot of tests that's been done on translations, uh, the uh, CSP's right there in the middle between accuracy and readability. So it's a it's, it is op, you know by even some studies, it is the optimal blend of
1: both. Mm. Yeah, awesome.
0: And it's actually yeah, increasing so. in sales now. They posted something on one of their websites where it's, uh, I think, fifth in the nation, fourth or fifth in the nation now wow. in top Bibles. And so it actually wow. uh, has uh, went above over some even big-name translations right now. So, uh,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So we have a bit of debunking to do, Brian. Um, dun, dun, dun. It's just, it, yeah. So we had a, um, a TikTok video that came up of a, uh, of a pastor. Can, can a, I ask
0: one question right quick before you go into it? Yeah. Can you really take yeah. anything seriously that comes on a nap called no. TikTok?
1: No. <laughs> it no. sounds
0: like a little child Never. trying to
1: explain a clock. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no, not in any sort of way. But anyway, um, it, it, this is this is an issue that we have, um, you know, where people are are um, taking the scripture and applying it um, really uh, wrongly. So um, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip, and then we'll talk about it after the clip. It's only about a minute long, so we'll just kind of rock through it. I got to get it. Started up here. Here it comes.
2: Did you know that there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses a racial slur? In Mark chapter seven, there's the account of the Syrophoenician woman, a woman who is Syrian and Greek, both of which there were strong biases against within the Jewish community. And she comes to ask Jesus to heal her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And what is Jesus's response? He says, it's not good for me to give the children's food, meaning the children of Israel's food to dogs he calls her a dog what's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down she speaks truth to power she confronts jesus and says well you can think that about me but even dogs deserve the crumbs from the table Her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and extends healing to this woman's daughter. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work. And this woman was willing to stand up and speak truth.
1: (laughs) So there's that.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I'd rather heard a rock song. You said we was going to rock and roll. I'd rather heard a rock song than that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm no kidding. Yeah, so so there's there's some issues here um, in this. Um, it, it it sure seems like he's uh, doing some uh, error or carrying some error in his hermeneutics here.
0: Yeah, yeah, by far, uh, far and away. It, and so so. He, Several different things we can say, but I think this is an easy, easy, um, easy rebuttal, easy to debunk. Um, on the one hand, he he um, he takes up a um, an aspect of interpretation called reader response theory. He's reading into the text uh, something that the text does not necessarily say. Now. Let's be honest, Jesus does use a curt statement uh that would be kind of insulting you know, to the woman calling her a dog. I mean, because even according mm-hmm. to this um the uh the statement here in one of my study Bibles, in Jesus' curt statement, the children refers to the Jews. Jews typically Jews typically referred to Gentiles as dogs. Okay, that was not right. you know, unclean animals is what it means. So, right. so yeah. And yeah, I've even kind of wondered about this as well. But the thing is, the thing that the written text doesn't show is body language. We don't know anything about this woman. It could have very easily have been that this woman was a racist and Jesus was challenging her on her racism because we see, obviously, Jesus doesn't change his mind. He, we see that yeah. it's obvious that he's putting her to some kind of test in saying that. Because we and you say, Brian, how do we know that? Well, look, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. How does Jesus engage Gentiles and women in other passages of Scripture? Well, right. one, he accepted the worship; he accepted a Roman centurion of all people, right. and and they would have been despised yeah. even more so than a Syrophoenician woman. He, right. he he healed a servant of the Roman centurion. Um, he met a Samaritan who were a despised people among the Jews, met her at the well, and uh, she'd been married five times and was living with a man. He And he accepted her worship. He she, He accepted her and even used her as an evangelist to bring an entire community to faith. Um, That's right. So you see you see that, you see uh, the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus traveled into Gentile areas. Now we do see that Jesus primarily came for the children of Israel because he realized that when the Spirit started moving, then he would be focused to, uh, then the message would go out to Gentile nations. He would use Paul the Apostle, he knew this, he would use others to do that very thing too. So he was focused first on Israel, if you follow the Acts um, mission statement, go first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, Samaria, and then to the parts of the world. uttermost parts of the world. Start where you're planted first and then bloom out right. from there. So right. that's part of what's going on as well. But the clearest evidence that Jesus is not a racist comes in one of his parables. I think it's a hilarious parable if you understand the background behind it. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. In this parable... Jesus uses a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised in this culture. He uses the Samaritan as the protagonist or the hero, and uses the Jewish leaders of the temple as the pro- the uh, the uh, as the antagonists or or the villains. They weren't willing to help a person in need. Yet the Samaritan, who was a despised person, is is the hero of the story? That's like going to a Ku Klux Klan meeting and telling people that the hero of the story was was a was an african American individual or like going to a Nazi rally and using a and saying the jewish man was was the hero of the story. Uh, this was completely radical and revolutionary. Uh, We we see that in his parables and his teachings. So it's obvious. I don't know who this guy is, but it's obvious that he is using a reader response tactic rather than an authorial intent. He's reading into the scripture um, something that's not there. Again, now, that is not to say that Jesus didn't use a curt statement, but here again, we can't see the wink of an eye. We can't see... We don't even know anything about this woman. It could have been that there was something Jesus knew about her, testing her to see how she would respond before he went through and and, uh, and healed her daughter. And I think he had fully intended to do that from the very beginning. Um, yeah. We see Jesus putting people to the test many times in Scripture. So again, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And so I don't think that this interpretation, uh, using good Surrey County language, jihas, it's what you say to a horse, it doesn't jihaw with, uh, with uh, the rest of the Scripture.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to move on into the, the sermon. <laughs> the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Only a few verses, though. See, not to take entire chapters. Yeah, no, nine verses is all we're going to cover. And my guess is we'll probably be spending a lot on the last two. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, so Matthew six twenty five through 34. You want to go ahead and read those? Sure. So the
0: Word of God says, Therefore, I've got my Bible out here too, but i got it on the screen. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field grow, or observe how the wildflowers of the field grow, the lilies of the field they don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? And I wonder if he doesn't say that to us, O oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear, For the Gentiles, and here Gentiles means unbelievers, so it's important to understand the terminology, what what he intends in this. For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself." each day has enough trouble of its own
1: hmm. so in a in a beautiful poetic fashion jesus compares the divine provisions of god to his caretaking of the natural world what can we learn about god's provision by nature
0: so looking at the passage of scripture we see that he talks about the birds of the sky he talks about animals he talks about uh uh, the the grass of the field, wildflowers, lilies of the field. Uh, he talks about um, all these different things in, found in nature. You know, birds, animals, uh, vegetation. God provided it all, and so he's basically saying, if God is, if God is the provider of all of these things, and God counts you as more more worthy. Uh, of, of worthy of more of attention, worthy of more love than even the creation. You know, he essentially says that God is going to take better care of you than He will the birds and the grass and the trees and things of this nature. I think Jesus points to uh, a couple of things. I want to read a passage of Scripture going along with this, and it was an early uh, Christian creed. Uh, the, one of the creedal passages of scripture That we find that predate the New Testament itself Let me flip to it It's in Colossians chapter 1 And I think Jesus is actually pointing to Some of the truths found in this And I want to read this real quickly for you here If I can get there it says, uh, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Remember that verse. He's also the head of the body, of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Okay, so we see that when we talk about God's um, work in creation, we see three aspects, theologically speaking. One, we see the creative aspect of God. All of life has its origins in God. We all owe our existence to God. The air we breathe, God owns a copyright to it. The blood that flows through our body, He owns the copyright to it. Our very DNA, He owns a copyright. The water you drink, the air you breathe, the food you eat... God owns it all. So He created everything that that exists. So we see, first and foremost, God created all things. Secondly, we learn of God's governance. God oversees and He governs the world he even directs the course of history. He, we learn this in Romans eight twenty eight. Jesus mm-hmm. sure, certainly teaches this uh, that um, that he, he you know in the end times the Father knows only the Father knows when the Son, coming of the Son of Man will be. God mm-hmm. is directing the course of history. All of that discourse tells it tells us that it, you know in the final moments God's going to be the vi- be the victor. He's going to win in the end. So he's governing all things. He's created all things. But we also see not only the the creation aspect of God's involvement with creation, the governance aspect of God's involvement with creation, but we see the sustaining aspect of God's involvement in creation. God sustains creation and keeps everything existing as it was. Curtis, I'm a firm believer, and as Colossians even says here, if God were to take his hands off creation... Everything would fly apart at the seams. Nothing would hold together. Uh, It's by God's mind, by God's God's, um, directive power, creational power, divine power, that all things are even held together. So Jesus says, if God has such power over creation, and he already knows what you need, why are you wasting your time worrying about all
1: these issues? Yeah. Yeah, powerful stuff. So, um, how does this apply today with such a variant type of provision uh, that's spoken of?
0: Yeah, so I think um, I think if we really get down to the brass tacks of it all, um, people need very much less than what we think. We all have four essentials that we need to have food and and this includes drink, food and drink, clothing, uh shelter, and there's a fourth aspect uh that scientific studies have shown that we only love. And when I say scientific studies, there have been there's been research done to indicate that children who are not given love early in life uh do not uh they have um it stunts their development. Um in fact, they even hire individuals. Hospitals hire indi- individuals to come and sit with young children who maybe have been abandoned, or maybe who are sick, um, and they'll just simply stroke their arms just to reassure them. Children need that touch. Children need that need agape love, unconditional love, the love of right. a parent. They need that to develop as God intended them for, for them to to, uh, to de- intended for them to. But the same is true for all of us. All of us need love. All of us need food and drink, all of us need clothing, all of us need shelter and essentially when we talk about the provision of God, God provides these things for us um he, he he if we trust him he he will provide these things for us he knows what we need ahead of time and he it's just amazing how God works things out for us in the nick of time He's always on time every time hmm it doesn't seem like
1: our timing. Exactly, it is right. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and sometimes yeah. God may move. Uh, God may um, allow us to go through circumstances where uh, he, he puts us through the fire to test our faith to grow, and by testing our faith, He grows our faith. Um, mm-hmm. It may be sometimes that we have to. Um, part with certain things that we think you know for instance you know God moved us uh, from from Yakinville where we had spent 15 years back up to my hometown of Pilot Mountain North Carolina uh, up in the hills um, it, it was a big test of faith for all of us because I'm not a person who likes a lot of change uh, now we did need a bigger house we didn't even need, we, we needed a larger house we wanted something more of a rural area and um mm-hmm. We kind of uh, zigzagged getting there, but God provided in the end, um, and he did it in a way that, that was remarkable, quite honestly. So hmm. his timing may not be our timing, and he may put us through, through some zigzags to get us where he wants us, but he eventually has a way of working things out for us in
1: the end. Yeah. So then how do you explain the differences of provision with such different locations and environments and cultures around the world?
0: We know, I was really thinking about this and we had, you know even out for the podcast, we were talking about this because I was trying to get what you, what you were hitting at with a question. And I, and I think I understand. And I think when we talk about people in general, no matter where, where a person's from, human needs are essentially the same. Uh, we all need food and drink. It's part of the human experience, you know. Biologically, we've got to have food and and, and drink to to survive. You know, was eighty percent of our body is water, maybe more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to have food to to give us energy to do certain things, and um, mm-hmm. we've got to have clothing. Some areas in the world may need less clothing than others because of the because of the environment. Um, if it's cold and wet, damp, you you definitely need clothing to uh, keep you warm. Shelter, you know, all of us, you know, everyone needs shelter of some sort to protect us from the elements. And then, of course, love—that's a given. I think everyone, everywhere, needs that: um, the love of the family and the love of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of thinking about that, you know. And this is not just this is not for believers either. Just, just for believers. This is for everyone. It's, oh, absolutely. It, it says in the past scriptures we covered last week is, you know, he, God sends rain on the just and the unjust, um, and so provision. Um, what another thing that I looked at was in the provisions, the the birds. God provides for the birds, right? But the birds still got to go out and search and mm-hmm. seek. Um, you know he provides for the for the for example, the lions and the tigers. they still have to go out and search. they still have to go out and find. And so God's not saying just you know you know just to hold back you know he's saying we still need to do this, we still need to work and I will provide I will provide for everyone all of human nature.
0: So yeah, and theologians call this common grace uh, or, or general grace right. given given to everyone. Um, and you can see this. I mean, if it were not for God, none of us, Would be able to eat. None of us would be able to drink because I mean, Curtis, this is an amazing planet which we live. It really is. I was listening to a radio show the other day, and they said that already. uh, With uh, you've probably heard of NASA's Perseverance rover uh, on the planet Mars. They they said that um, I'm trying to think of the exact name of what the material. They said that the planet surface of Mars they have discovered is made of some type of carbon. Sulfur, so so some type of carbon sulfur, something combination of that, it would be deadly to human life. So if we put human beings, if I understand this correctly, and the element may be it may be something else. I'm just just off the top of my head. And if there's one thing for sure, certain my memory is not what it used to be. But I do remember this much. <laughs> I didn't remember this much. They said that the that the soil was deadly lethal to human beings, at least as from what they're what they're finding now. So any type of suit that a person wear is wears there is going to have to be extra protective uh, to be able to even survive the soil of Mars. So uh-huh. God in his sovereignty has provided us a planet. I mean, we're talking about the clo- one of the closest planets to us. We couldn't survive there. We can't survive on the moon. We had to have oxygen mm-hmm. to survive there. All you right. know what they say would happen if you went out just off of this planet? If you were to fall off, if you went to the International Space Station and you fell off the space station, you know what would happen? They said no. your skin would burn alive. Because you don't have the protection of the atmosphere to protect you from the sun's rays, your skin would fry, your lungs would collapse, and you would drown on your own fluids. That would happen just by simply going just a few miles outside of our, of our, of where we are now, outside of our atmosphere, to to face the sun and all of its power with no oxygen. You couldn't last a second.
1: Yeah, and to just and i i don't want to mock but i'm gonna anyway you can't tell me that this you can't you, you just you can't tell me that this isn't planned it wasn't designed that it's that it just happened it it's it's ludicrous it's it's a, it's a um, yeah i don't want to mock but I'm gonna. It's, well, I mean,
0: um, and that's what I tell everybody. I became a. Whenever I l- left the faith for a period of time, I became what I call a theistic atheist, agnostic. I was open to the idea of God, but I didn't know if we could know what path uh, led to God, uh, because I had been hurt by the church mm-hmm. and I had questions, right. apologetic questions about the resurrection and other events of Scripture. But it still didn't make sense to me to say that there wasn't a God. Because you're right. I mean, Mm. of all of this creation, we can't even go to a neighboring planet and survive that has an atmosphere. (laughs) We can't even go there. If we go to Venus, we'll burn up because we can't stand it. If we go to Mars, then we'll freeze to death because we can't stand it. And we can't even walk the surface of Mars, it doesn't appear like, without having some type of special equipment. Right. (laughs) So... I mean yeah. you talk about Goldilocks the Goldilocks zone the, the planet earth. Yeah. We need to be appreciative of this planet because this the, there's not oh, another one uh, like this.
1: Yeah. Yep. I just uh, yeah, I I to say that this just happened is is ridiculous.
0: Absolutely I agree.
1: And the and and just the we've talked and covered this before just the the consistencies of of you put a seed in the ground that belongs to a, a pine tree, and look, lo and behold, up comes a pine tree.
0: <laughs> I mean, you just talk about the power of the sun in and of itself. I mean, right. the fact yeah, that our atmosphere is protecting us from the uh, from the rays. I mean, you go out now without mm-hmm. sunscreen and you get a sunburn. You you go outside of the atmosphere with no protection, you it, burn to death.
1: Power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just it it amazes me, but. Yeah, so is Jesus saying we should never work for a living no. uh, by teaching us not to worry about food and clothes and such?
0: One more nerdy thing before uh, I get into that. Uh, oh. They also said they also said that when you go in space with no suit, that your blood boils too. Your skin fries. Oh, I've your heard blood, that. Your skin Sa- fries. Same your- with
1: going. Yeah, same with going down uh, too deep in the ocean.
0: Yeah. Your skin fries apparently if you have this if you get the sunlight with no atmosphere your skin fries your blood boils and you, your lungs shrink because no oxygen
1: yeah yeah i think it's in the ocean it's not not if you go down it's if you come up too fast well if, you, something, if something something happens if
0: you go down too deep too quickly in the ocean you essentially implode because the pressure of the ocean is so strong it it yeah. Pre- it's just you have to have some type of of depressurization suit to be able to do it because the the pressure of the water itself is just intense once you get yeah.
1: down below a certain sea level. And yet there's there's little fish underneath there that have never seen this the light of day. Yeah, and and, and glow in the dark, <laughs> glow in the dark. Some of them do. Yeah.
0: I mean, only it's God crazy. could do something like that.
1: Yeah. So, what was your question? I, I, I got off I, on that. Oh, <laughs> well, it it's it's it kind of goes back to is Jesus saying that we should never work for a living, and uh, by teaching us not to worry about food and clothes.
0: Yeah, Jesus was a socialist and wanted us to all just not do anything. Oh my word.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can write your uh, responses to Curtis Evelov at Ronan.
1: <laughs> Bring it.
0: <laughs> no no of course not the 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 right answer is of course not because if you look mm. at the teachings of Jesus um, we see that you know, not just the teachings of Jesus but the Bible in general talks about a blend of uh, human activity and divine sovereignty uh, mm. to the understanding that humans the the work we do operates under the sovereign plan of God. Uh, for instance there's a parable Jesus gives called the, the parable of the sower and the parable is that you uh, is that there's a sower sowing seed and the seed is thrown but the seed falls on four different kinds of soil there's a shallow soil rocky soil thorn thorny soil it's got thorns and then good soil well the seeds only take the good soil but the sower throws out the seed and I think we can okay. see two different teachings in this one, uh, at the very surface level, we can see that in agriculture, if you're a farmer, you see this perfected. you see human activity, human work and divine sovereignty working perfectly together in harmony. A person sows the seed and they and they trust God to be able to, to bring up excuse me bring up the seed that was planted, so it's working together in harmony right. Um, and also with evangelism, which is the main teaching of the parable. You know, we, we bring forth the gospel, the seed is the gospel. We bring forth the gospel, we, we tell people the good news of Christ, and then we wait to see what results take effect. You know, what comes out of it. And so, honestly, if we understand this parable, it should take all the pressure off of evangelism. You basically give the message to people, show the love of Christ, and let the Spirit do His work in the person's life. But going back to your question, I think we see that 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 um, we're called to evangelize. We're called to do certain things with the understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to bring forth results from our efforts. Well, the same is true for anything in life. You know we're we're called, to, I mean the Bible tells us that a man who doesn't take care of the needs of his own household is worse than an unbeliever and the Bible tells us yeah, we need to be right. believers so to not care for your family, not provide for your family is is worse than being an unbeliever Paul says that the same, the same is true with, with teachings of Jesus. Jesus is teaching us do our part you know do what we need to do to provide right. for our families, but trust God with the results understand that God will open the doors. I mean sometimes we've we've been looking, you know, you may have looked for a job and uh, nothing ever comes about, but then then all of a sudden the door's open and there's that perfect job that just that just uh, is just right for you. And and you know, sometimes God may have to move us by making us uncomfortable in the position we have to provide something better for us. But it takes a keen ear listening to the Holy Spirit and an uh, observing eye to see how God's moving. Go. And, um, and trusting a trusting heart to, to believe that God's going to do something in and through us for our good in the end. Now, sometimes we may have to face difficulties. Uh, you know, the, the end for Simon Peter was death on a cross being hung upside down. Yep. But we understand yep. that because of the eternal perspective that we have, that the rewards he has he, he holds in heaven are going to be great. And the rewards mean something in heaven. Um, so even when we go through difficulties, we know that God's going to bring something good in the end.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because kind of like what I said a little earlier. You know, the the birds still go out and do do their part. You know, and God provides. Um, but. The, you you're turning turning it into uh, you know talking on the on the aspects of of the rewards in the end um that's that does bring back a, that does bring into a little bit of power um there in what we do mm-hmm. with our lives what's the importance
0: i mean what we do for christ matters i mean sometimes we'll be we'll have a um We'll be rewarded for our efforts sometimes on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it won't come about until the other side of eternity. But but that's, that requires faith. You know, Paul tells us that hope is not... If, if hope is something that can be seen and observed, then it's not hope. Hope right. is something that we don't have right now. But we know that we have the hope that God is going to provide it in the end. God may provide it in the future. God may provide it later on. I mean, I was going through a crisis of, uh, not really a crisis of faith, but a crisis of life. Uh, mm. What would have been a year ago or so, and there, there were, and I won't get into all the details, but there were a lot of things going on um, that really had me concerned about. Our financial well-being, we were concerned about um, where we were going to live, what what was going to happen to us. And while I was concerned, the Spirit of God just spoke to my heart and and told me, "Just trust me, I've got this." And I had no reason; I had no reason to believe that it was going to work out, but it right. did. I mean, God worked in miraculous ways. I mean, even trying to finish out this PhD, the classwork portion of this. God worked out things perfectly. And Curtis, I got to praise on the Lord. We, praise the Lord. Uh, this past Friday we had our taxes done. We had a few things to happen that concerned us that maybe we were going to have to pay in a lot of money. Uh we had you know, we had um, some put back in case it was going to be the case, but there was some anxiety, there were some tensions not knowing what to expect. Well, <laughs> this is just God. Not only did we not have to pay any money, we, for the first first time in several years, got a refund back. You know, and I looked at my <laughs> wife and her eyes, I mean, her mouth dropped, and our, our accountant said, well, where do you want us to put it? And uh, and my wife looked at me, and she looked at the accountant, and she said, what
1: did in you the, just say? In the, in the coffee can in the backyard. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, don't give away my secret hiding spot now.
1: <laughs> it's, the, it's under the deer statue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't look under my deer statue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true, though. That is true. That's that's. Uh, it is amazing when when it's God's timing how how things just work out for uh, the believer. Absolutely it's amazing. Yeah. So, what does Jesus tell us about the uselessness of worry?
0: It, it does no good. You know, just to, sim- just to simplify this, it does no good. Jesus tells us that by worrying, we can't uh, we we can't uh, gain clothing by worrying. We we can't uh, we can't grow an inch by worrying. We can't extend our life by one day by worrying. Worrying doesn't do any good. I mean, it's not as if we're by worrying that anything can be accomplished by it. So Jesus is saying, why do it? If 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 you have faith and trust in your Father, that the Father is going to come through for you, then why do it? Now that's not to that's not to say that there aren't times in life where we don't go through anxieties, because even Jesus Himself, who is the perfect Son of God, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane sweated great drops of blood. Right. So and He, because He knew. And this is true for all of us. When we, when we approach the end of life, even if we have perfect faith, there's still a bit of anxiety because we don't know what it's going to be like to cross that threshold. It's almost like roller coasters. I'm not a roller coaster person. I'm not a roller coaster person at all. In fact, when I was dating my wife, she she talked me into getting on this uh, this uh, roller coaster called the Vortex and trying to be the macho man. I, you know, I was, <laughs> went on there, and I got up on the top of it and looked down. You know how it happens. You hear click, 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 and then after that last click, you say, Dear Jesus, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and those were my exact words when I was on top of that thing. So the same thing is like... A- <laughs> Same things like the end of life. You know, when when we're at the end of life, we know we have that hope of heaven. We have the hope that to be absent from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord. We have that sweet assurance. But still, Mm -hmm. the process going from here into eternity is something we haven't experienced. So there's a newness about it. There's a little anxiety about it. And so I think it's natural. So that's not to say that we can completely avoid anxieties and and worries, but what Jesus is telling us is that we don't have to be crippled by it. Uh, Mm. We don't have to be crippled by the worry and anxiety. We can give it over to God and trust Him that He's going to help us come through in the end.
1: Mm.
0: He's going to piece things together for us as only God can.
1: Right. And the one thing I like about it that you pointed out, and I'll just kind of maybe even elaborate a little bit more about it Jesus doesn't uh, discount or deny that worry happens right you know you know he he says just work through it don't don't do it yeah
0: and because it doesn't do any good and let me just say one more thing um, I asked I, I was in a uh, I had an opportunity to ask a doctor and two nurses. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I don't even play one on TV. But uh, no, but you slept at a Holiday Inn. Well, I did do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that might make me something then. <laughs> but I asked them. I asked them a question. I said, "Is when a person doesn't respond well to traumatic events." can that change the chemical state of their brain? And all three of them said in unison, absolutely, it can. Mm. So there are some very detrimental things that come about by allowing yourself to be overly stressed, overly anxious about things Mm. of life. There are great benefits that come by giving it over to the Lord.
1: Mm. It's interesting. So... How can worries take us away from the worship or the connection to God?
0: Well, I think it's kind of like Peter and uh, when he's walking on water. If you remember mm-hmm. the story, recall the story. Um, yep. Peter's walking on water. He's As he's, long as he's got his eyes on Jesus, he's walking on water. But the moment he takes his eyes off Jesus, he's he's looking at the waves. He feels the wind. He's looking down at the water, see, perhaps seeing fish under his feet, saying, thinking to himself, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And then he mm. starts sinking. So I think, in the same way, when we look at our con- our situations and we look at uh, the storms of life, we quickly take our eyes off God and put it on and put our eyes on our problems instead. Mm. And I think that causes all kind of problems.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that, I think yeah. we we see this going on in modern Christianity. Uh, I was
1: uh, just gonna say, yeah. Yeah, where it becomes um, where doing church or going to church is just something people do because they've got so many worries uh, they're bearing on their shoulders, um, but they're not connecting with God um, in in any sort of way, whether worship wise and and worship is not just sitting there singing. You know, I want I want people to understand that. Worship is, is, is everything, our, our time with God in, in the Bible, our time with prayer, our time uh, just acknowledging, giving thanks. There's, uh, my goodness, there's so much that's involved in, in worship that, that actually creates the connection with our Heavenly Father. Absolutely. So why is, uh, why is this teaching so critically important for us today?
0: Well, as we as you just mentioned, Curtis, you know, in, in modern Christianity, we we're so overcome by fear and anxiety over many different issues, and if there's one thing we, we you can learn from history, and is that people are dangerous when they become scared and anxious. Um, it's kind of like if you go back to the Twilight Zone 1960s edition of the uh, Monsters on Maple Street. Uh, the story goes: this this community about devours itself, accusing one another uh, that each one's an alien when strange phenomena happen in their neighborhood. And just so happens, there were aliens trying to invade, but they weren't invading by uh, by coming down in ships. They were invading by uh, turning people against one another. I, I do think that there's an element where of spirit of spiritual warfare. Going on, I think that's what the devil's doing
1: today, Curtis. I see you. (laughs) (laughs) I am just, I am like, man, the Twilight Zone all over again. Now it's twenty twenty one.
0: It is, and we and we're doing the same thing to ourselves. I mean, if it's not politics, it's economics, it's the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it's family problems, health, finances, freedoms. We we have even pointed fingers, becoming an us versus them. Mm. type of mentality, Uh, and any time we do that, that always leads, when has that ever worked for
1: us? (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, it's never worked for us, but yet we still continue to do the same thing over and over again. makes no sense. So, you know, there's a lot of, if there's one thing this pandemic has shown, if there's one thing that we've seen in modern times, it is the lack of faith that we have as evangelicals actually have in God.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. not only as lack of faith as evangelicals in God, but the willingness to set our hat, um, on, on the next best thing Mm -hmm. or the, or the thing that we see that is the most tangible, um, you know, in an idolatrous type fashion, Mm -hmm. um, and and that's and that destroys us from the inside out. preach. <laughs> so so really Brian, how do we how do we minister to someone who does worry or has legitimate reason to worry? Or is there any any time that worry is legitimate?
0: Well, let, let me first of all answer that by saying I think worry comes in some areas of doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Doubt in, in, in some form or fashion. Gary Habermas says that there are three kinds of doubt. The first type of doubt is intellectual doubt. And that's actually the easiest type of doubt to um, engage. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we do here at Bellator Christie. That's what we did at the outset of the podcast when we engaged the intellectual doubt um, and some may even say that it may be a different type of doubt that he has there, and I kind of may, may be inclined to believe that it's intellectual and, and volitional. We'll talk about volitional in a moment, but um, but yeah, you know, when people have questions or concerns about something the Bible teaches, something Jesus said, something Jesus did, whether the resurrection is true, whether God exists, these are all intellectual doubts, and and we handle that intellectually. So if, if, the per, if the worry a person has comes from some doubt they have in Scripture, then we engage them intellectually. Secondly is a volitional doubt. Volitional doubt it comes from a person not liking what the Bible teaches in some ethical um, manner. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for instance, a person who doesn't like the teaching of adultery, Maybe they're, they're sleeping around on their wife. They don't like that teaching of adultery because it makes them feel bad that they're doing that against their wife and family. So instead of admitting that what they're doing is wrong, they'll say, well, the Bible wrong in saying that. Uh, so they turned it around. So instead of saying what I'm doing is wrong, they'll say what the Bible said is wrong. And so that's a volitional type of doubt. Some people have even asked if that is even doubt, if it's not rebellion. I th- I think it is listed as doubt, but I do think it is a form of rebellion. Um, but you know, you know, doubt is you know uh, you may say any type of doubt's rebellion in some degree.
1: But um, anyhow, that's and all. and and um, doubt can also uh, there again can also become an idol. Yeah. Uh, you know, to where we focus more on, we we don't think here. Here it is. We don't think that Christ can overcome the doubts that we have. So then, the doubt becomes the greater God.
0: Yeah, and and some people have even some even some people even think themselves more intellectual if they have doubts. I've even heard some professors even combat this, that uh, that there's almost this thinking in some circles that that if you doubt that you're intellectual superior to those who don't, well, that's that's stupid. That's
1: gnosticism.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's that's a good point. It becomes yeah. a form of gnosticism.
1: And that's what and that's what Paul was uh, Paul was uh, you know basically preaching against um, in his time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and more so even John. John was really, uh, you know, hammering hard <clears throat> in, his, in his letters against early forms of Gnosticism. I think it was called Docetism in the first century, mm. but it was leading into the Gnosticism, full-blown Gnosticism of the, of the second century. But, but nonetheless, the intellectual doubt, volitional doubt, but then there's the more difficult type of doubt. Gary Habermas said, and "In fact, I, I put this in the layman's manual on Christian apologetics with his permission. I even actually emailed him to make sure it sounded right before I posted it in in the uh, in the book." He said in class that, in his estimation, seventy-five to eighty percent of all doubt that he's encountered on college campuses comes from emotional doubt rather than intellectual doubt. Really. He would say something around twenty-five percent, give or, give or take, of doubts intellectual, but at least seventy-five percent or more. Uh, and of course, that would that would alter the percentages there. But but generally speaking, the the seventy-five to eighty percent of all doubt is emotional. Something traumatic happened to an individual. Maybe God didn't come through. God maybe God didn't heal a person that the person thought um, God would. Uh, just like what we see in John 11 with Mary and Martha, Jesus didn't heal Lazarus initially, and so they, they had questions for them. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe God, uh, maybe you went through, maybe the person went through some traumatic event, and they think God is responsible for them going through whatever situation they did. Um, it's it's some degree maybe a disappointment with God, um, and sometimes that, May heart be uh, shrouded in resentment and bitterness and sometimes anger. Um, Many times I think that it, um, and this is something I've learned in chaplaincy, many times I think it comes from not being able to grieve in a healthy manner. Um, Understanding, and and this is something again I've learned this past year, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to right. confront your grief and allow yourself to go through it because it's actually by going through grief that you heal. It's when we kind of keep grief away that, that we don't heal. And that's revolutionary. That I've learned that recently. And I think we see that with Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to go through and experience the concerns and anxieties In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was ministered to by angels, which helped him along. And then ultimately he knew that uh, the cross would lead to the resurrection, but there's still that anxiety. He allowed himself to grieve. He allowed himself to go through the anxieties and concerns. But grief was given to us by God. And so um, I think that that might be part of it, quite honestly. Um, Not all of it, but it may be part of it.
1: So does that verify the legitimacy of it? Then
0: I, I think so. Mm-hmm. So if if yeah, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. I think that g- grieving in a healthy way and grieving isn't the same for everyone. I'll give you for instance. Yeah, there. Yep. I give you for instance with my wife and myself when we when my um we, we when my grandpa passed away, you know, a few years ago. Um. It affected all of us. I mean, my grandpa lived up the road from where we live now. Um, it was because of him and land given to our parents, and which we, they gave to us, that we were able to build our house and 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 move in where we are. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a traumatic event for all of us because grandpa had been he would have been like a patriarch to us. Oh, I mean, he was a pastor for numerous years. Mm. For my wife She has to stay busy You know That's the way she grieves By staying busy Mm. For me I've got to withdraw I'm not I'm not a I'm not a People may be surprised by this But I'm not an extrovert I'm an introvert by nature So I've got to withdraw A little bit Take myself out Out of the elements A little bit And and take some time To myself Mm -hmm. You know To be able to heal Um some, so, there you have a case in point that two different people grieving—they grieved in two different ways. So there's really not a right or wrong way to grieve, but there are healthy and unhealthy ways to grieve, and so sure. and we want to allow ourselves to go through the process, mm-hmm. which which is important.
1: Right. Yeah you you let your uh, you let your grief be shanghaied by you know things that either are distractions or things that just, uh, uh, keep you from, from actually allowing your body to grieve. Cause not only is it, not only is it, um, emotionally good to grieve and to do that, but also, uh, physically, Absolutely. It's physically good to do that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, uh, I cannot believe that we, Polished off an hour already <laughs> with this podcast, but, but, but <laughs> so. let me be-
0: before we close out, Curtis. I wrote down eight things that that would hopefully be some tools, and I, and I'll go through them pretty okay. quickly because I know we're we're uh, getting yeah. getting low on time. But just eight quick tips to help uh, people to, to to help you help others when going through emotional doubt and when going through times of anxiety and concerns. The first thing I would say, first and foremost, is. This is something we all need to learn in conservative evangelicalism, and that's called active listening. Um, allow the person to express their concerns and anxieties. You know, one of the first things we do, uh, and I'm guilty of this, and this was something the Spirit of God convicted me, He convicted me on this very early on. A lot of times when we listen to someone, uh, and I've been guilty of this badly. When we hear someone, a lot we'll be thinking of what we're going to say next instead of actually hearing what the person is saying. And so active listening is to allow the person to express themselves and and to really see where they're coming from. And so secondly, I think we need to empathize with a person. Um, we don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. But just really try to try to empathize with the situation and circumstance they're going through, and and um, and realize that you know it may be a very serious circumstance they're facing. So the last thing we want to do is to simply say, "Well, it's not as bad as you think it is." Well, to them, it may be very bad. You know, so everybody deals with things differently. Thirdly, we've already mentioned this: allow them to grieve in a, in a healthy manner. Four, this is very important. This is something. people people slander this, but this is something we need to actually do more, and that's remind them of God's love. You would be surprised how many people don't know that God loves them. Mm. It's shocking. It it really is. Um, Fifthly, provide help where necessary. In the South... Uh, I don't know if you guys do it in Montana, but I know in the South um, we'll say, "Well, let me know if let me know if you need anything." But then when you call we'll say, "Hey, can you come help me with this?" Well, you know, I, I'm kind of busy. You know, it's it's just a nice gesture, but sometimes people don't really mean it. If a person is in need, if they need help, you know, be willing to help them what you can. Um, right. Offer tangible support. Sixth, give a ministry of presence. And and um, be there with them, and if they need a professional counselor, be willing to, to to have information, go get information for them. Maybe a crisis control team is necessary. Seven, you know, tell them about good uh, coping strategies about how to deal with their their anxieties, um, making sure that we breathe and make sure we have time for prayer. And then eighth, this is very probably the most difficult of all. Love them unconditionally. That's what God calls us yeah. to do. Um, right. You may not agree with them, you may not uh, like some of the things they do, but let them know that you do care for them, and yeah. that'll that'll go much deep, much farther uh, than what any of us ever realize.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that advice because you don't want to take the advice that uh, that Job's friends displayed. <laughs> not that <it> would be. <laughs> Yeah. And you know Job's uh, friends were
0: nice and uh, they were good until they opened their mouth. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The the Hebrew people call that uh uh sitting uh Shiva or Shiva, Is that, am I right? Yeah, I had they, no they they call it I think it's I think it's they call it call it sitting Shiva. Um to alongside somebody, Um, cry when they cry, laugh when they laugh, um, get up and do do things when they do things. So you're you're, um, bearing that burden of grief and worry with those people.
0: That may be true Because I know the word yeshiva It means like a It's like a learning institution Kind of like a school Or kind of like a uh, an educational process So it may be that shiva Is is going alongside with someone mm-hmm.
1: Yep Well we've gone past the hour so But uh, Is that so.
0: surprising? I think we've done that this no. whole
1: series <laughs> Yeah I know no, It's going to be wonderful here coming up soon finish this uh finish this one on then we'll get into seven so <laughs> we here at bellator christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and it is a reliable source of information join us next time on bellator christie podcast and until next time brian and i say so. on friends, friends.
0: Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts, and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristy.com and the Bellator Christy Podcast.